Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Sisters of Resistance podcast for the week of May the 21st. The speakers on this podcast sometimes use bad language, and so listener discretion is advised. And find us on Stitcher, Podbean, my all-time favorite Spotify, and Apple iTunes at Sisters of Resistance, all one word. And also on Spotify, if they call it the Sisters of Resistances, apostrophe S. <laughs> Find us on Sisters of Resistance on Facebook and email us at sistersofresistance3 at gmail.com. I'm joined by my sisters, Meg McIntyre Sandine and Franny McIntyre. Good morning, ladies. How are you? We're here. We're here. We're here and uh, we're ready to go, ready to go to battle. I'm excited. Um, So we decided we were going to start, oh, we were going to have a little chit chat about the abortion wars. Well, personally for me, if you're going to talk abortion, you're going to have to know women's plumbing and the ins and outs. It seems to me that none of these fucking guys know anything when they talk about chromosomes do this thing and yeah, do that. The chromosomes days later. Yeah, <laughs> Go figure. Meg, do you have any thoughts? Well, just as I said, they, they, they show their ignorance and the naivete and that their information level is from the, like the 19th century. And I was very disappointed to hear a former police chief say that sexual assault was just quote consensual rape right this is this is from a law enforcement officer uh the whole thing is so shocking or statements that you can have an abortion up to the time you know you're pregnant yeah by the way as if some of the women magically know the instant that they are pregnant right And, and and again it just so flies in the face of simple reproductive biology clearly these men have no right to be anywhere near my body they don't even know what they're dealing with right right franny what do you got i just i I, it it is so infuriating and it's of course it's all men that are making these decisions because i don't remember the numbers in alabama but i think there were only two women um, legislators who were voting and trying to you know make it clear and you know what the issues were at stake in trying to cross-examine the proponents of this legislation it just it it was so overwhelmingly awful my observation not completely original with me but you know the republicans are like dogs chasing the bus they Mm -hmm. don't know what is going to happen if they actually get it they always step back remember when they were close to having an immigration proposal and trump stepped away from it he wanted the issue he didn't actually want to solve it same thing with Iran. He wants to do a lot of saber rattling and make a lot of noise. But the thought of actually going to war, step back. The Republicans are just as worried. They don't really want a world without abortion. They don't right. really want that. They don't want to go back, you know, 50 years uh, into alleyways and that sort of thing. They just want the issue. The problem is that we're so partisan and they've been so effective at getting judges into these positions that there's a real risk that the wrong thing could happen here. And then the Republicans are going to own that. Republicans are going to have to explain and answer for this uh, all the way through this uh, 2020 election. And they deserve every bit of uh, harassment they get over it. Well, they seem to be backing away, backing away from, from uh, the, extreme, the extremeness, if you will, from the Alabama decision. That's they, right. I agree. Yep. Kevin McCarthy, you know, Trump. I mean, 30 years ago, Trump was, uh, you know, up until the election, Trump was, 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 was pro-choice. You know, I mean, they have it. 1999, uh, indicated, documented, you know. So, um, anyway, guys, 
And also the the anti-abortion furor is what drives the whole Republican campaign. It's what gets out the evangelicals. It's what deludes the poor Catholics who go along with it. So as Bernie said, they don't want to solve the problem. No. They want to keep it burning and, and fired up and going on. Right. So I said, it's just the hypocrisy is, is, is stunning. Exactly. Exactly. I agree. Mm. Okay. Mm. Uh, next topic, with, um, we're going to talk about, uh, I'm going to sing. I'm going to sing. Remember, remember the song from the 70s? No, love, no, no. <laughs> Meg, talk about lies. Go ahead. You're on. Well, uh, thank you, Reggie. Uh, and I, to our dear listeners, I could barely rouse myself this morning to come on the line <laughs> because I am absolutely slayed and my mind keeps asking the question, why so many lies? Yeah. I intended to, and I will in a moment, talk about solving the mystery of why the White House did not fire Flynn after they knew that he was cooperating or in contact with Russia. However, this morning, I found out that now the president is whining that no one ever told him about Flynn. How is he supposed to know? Which is ludicrous. But what really sent me around the bend was finding out that uh, McConnell and Lindsey Graham and Marco Rubio are all getting money from the Russians. No! again, this is something that as snarky and as suspicious and nasty as I can be, I never dreamed of accusing all these other Republicans of getting money to their political action committees, to the PACs, where it's pretty loose, getting money directly from the um, industries that involve Deripaska, and um, wow. I, it, it, it's so shocking, but it makes it so obvious. Of course, that's why they don't want anyone to investigate this. This is oh. why McConnell would not let the information get out. It is why he's speaking to the empty chamber saying, case closed, case closed. Right. It's why Lindsey Graham is doing anything he can to shut things down. They're all getting money from russia themselves and they know that they're dependent on it they're both up again in 2020 again it just disgusts me disgusts me and it makes me think of that scary movie from the late 1970s about a babysitter who was getting threatening phone calls have you checked on the children Mm. and eventually the police inform her that the call is coming from within the house Mm-hmm. And that's the situation here that's dawning on me, that this is a horror film of lies, that they're all lying, and uh, we can't let ourselves get confused by it. Um, so, Reggie, I just want to talk for a minute about the mystery. Uh, we talked about this in a previous show. Uh, after the administration, Trump's administration was notified point blank, clear as day, that Flynn was lying and had been in communication with Russians, they seemed frozen in an analysis paralysis. They could not do anything, did not do anything for 18 days, during which time Flynn continued to receive national security briefings. 
Well, through the benefit of the wonderful volume two of the Mueller report, we know what was going on. Yeah. And the answer is they knew all along. Wow. Okay. Right after the election, 45 announced that Flynn was going to be his national security advisor. Mm -hmm. And during the transition period, Flynn had lots of contact dealing with foreign officials, especially Ambassador Sisliak from Russia. Okay, so December 29, the end of the month, in response to the irrefutable information from all the intelligence agencies that Russia had interfered in our 2016 election, President Obama announced sanctions on Russia. Remember, he closed down their two little holidays, sent some people home. Okay, immediately, members of the Trump transition engaged in multiple emails, try worrying about what would be the negative effects if Russia responded to the sanctions. So on that same day, Flynn was talking by phone with KT McFarlane, who was his assistant, who was at Mar-a-Lago, with Trump and 45, excuse me, and other senior staff. And they all decided that they did not want Russia to escalate the situation. And at quarter five that day, McFarland sent out emails saying, General Flynn is talking to the Russian ambassador this evening. And one hour later, McFarland met with Trump and others and talked about averting response to the sanctions. Flynn calls McFarland and says, oh, yeah, by the way, I talked with Sisliak, and he's cool. I asked him to tell Russia not to escalate the situation. The next day, Putin announced that it wouldn't do anything. It, instead, it would just wait for an opportunity to restore U.S. and Russia relations under the policies of the new Trump administration. Okay. The next day, Sisliak calls Flynn and says, you know, I transmitted your request to the highest levels, and believe me, it was it was answered. It was respond, you know, it was responded to. So Flynn told KT McFarland that his phone call had made all the difference. He was so proud of his involvement in the matter that he told Steve Bannon that he had quote stopped the train <laughs> on Russia's response to the sanctions. Okay, mm -hmm. so everybody knew, but on January twelfth. Before the inauguration, the Washington Post reported on Flynn's telephone calls with Sisliak and suggested that his calls undermined the U.S. sanctions imposed by Obama and possibly violated the Logan Act, you know, which says that no private citizen should be out there either making deals for America or undermining America. Trump got angry about the press reports and told Priebus to tell Flynn that, quote, the boss, that's 45, wanted to kill the story. So then Flynn tells Katie McFarlane, call the Washington Post and deny that Flynn and Kislyak ever discussed the Obama sanctions. So then Flynn told Priebus, Pence, and Sean Spicer that he had not discussed sanctions with Sisliak. These officials went out to press conferences and repeated the lie over and over again. Mm -hmm. Now, on January 23rd, the FBI, who was already investigating General Flynn because of his warm and cozy relations with the Rus 
Remember, he was appearing at RT and leading standing ovations for Putin. He was interviewed by the FBI. They asked him about the calls to Sizliak, and again, he lied. So, next business day, Acting Attorney General Sally Yates goes over and tells Don McCann that the public statements by the administration officials saying, oh, no, 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 there was no conversation with Sizliak or Russia were incorrect and that Flynn was in a position to be compromised by the Russians. That afternoon, McGahn tells Trump about the notification from DOJ. Trump gets angry and tells McGahn to work with Priebus and Bannon, but not to discuss the matter with anyone else. On 27th of January, McGahn asked Yates to come back. But his follow-up questions were simply to determine, were, were his attempt to determine what was the FBI's interest in Flynn? How much did the mm. FBI know about Flynn? And basically, why did the FBI care if Flynn lied to other officials? Yates declined to provide any information and said that the information about this compromise of Flynn had been presented for what the FBI always calls appropriate action. It's basically, here's the information, you know what you should do with it. Okay. So then on February 12th, more than two weeks later, McGahn and Priebus decided that Flynn had to be terminated. And so Priebus did so. Just bear in mind that 45, whose favorite tagline is, you're fired, but it's too much of a chicken to ever fire anyone, actually uh, did not fire Flynn. Priebus did. Flynn says, I want to see the boss, you know, I want to see the boss. I guess hoping maybe that he could work this out. When he sees 45 briefly, 45 gives Flynn a big Russian warm hug and says, we'll give you a good recommendation. You're a good guy. We'll take care of you. So that's the real story. They all knew all along, all continued to lie all had their heads in the sand and uh, it didn't take any action because Flynn was doing exactly what he had been hold, told to do. Now, is that drive you around the moon or what? Uh, Margaret, very, so interesting. Two questions. Um, remember those, those calls on um, December 29th? Yes. yes there was a series of them. Calls. What do you know yes. about the series of them? Explain that a little well, bit. Well, there were four or five calls and I know that you pointed out in a previous podcast you compared it to when you're buying a used car and the salesman keeps going in and out saying i got to talk to the manager well one of the excuses they first used was that they were offering christmas greetings and indeed mm -hmm. orthodox christmas in russia is like a week later but then they started to make up some other things yeah there were numerous phone calls then they tried to say sean spicer tried to explain it really only been one phone call with four components uh, the issue is, if any of our listeners are ever thinking about trying to develop a relationship with Russia, I can advise you, do not call the embassy. <laughs> do not walk up to the embassy and ring the doorbell, because the FBI is always watching and listening. Right. Well, so, that's, that's my... It was lie upon lie upon lie. Ball-faced lie. Look right at the camera. Look right at the FBI agents and say, no, it didn't happen. It's shocking. Oh. 
that's my next, my, just to confirm or, or refresh us, how did they have access to those calls? Was it because they were taping, tapping? The, Let's just say that someone is always watching. Always, always, always watching. But it was, it was Kislyak's phone that was being covered, probably. Probably everybody's phone call. It was phone calls of the Russians that would have been covered. Right. And if some American stupidly sticks his head in there right. and speaks out loud, then it will be. Which also reminds me that yesterday I saw lying Bill Barr say, try to pretend again that the FBI investigation was based upon the Steele dossier, which he knows it is not. He's it was lying. based on loudmouth um, Papadopoulos, yeah, Papadopoulos drunkenly right. spilling all over London. That's what it was based on. So I said, when I see the chief law enforcement office, again, I can't really say he looks mm. at the camera, but he lies, lies, lies. It's, it's, it, it drives me to distraction. Abs you know, absolutely. Uh, and I, I watch for the, for the nonverbal cues and they're, they're happening. Uh, they're just such a, such, such a lying and deceit going on. Remember our brother Ted, our learned brother Ted, who has since retired, and congratulations to him. But he has yes. often said all 350 of the Congress are, are, getting, are getting money from the Russians in some way or another. But you bore it out with, you said it was, um, uh, who was it again that, would, that you had it's, some? It's specifically McConnell yep. and Lindsey Graham wow. and also Rubio. Wow. And also, the New York Times was reporting this morning about there is a special $20 million deal that's going to take place to build an aluminum plant in Kentucky. And this is no. from a firm owned by Deripaska. Remember about two months ago when Mnuchin suddenly took off the Russian sanctions? Yes. Well, as a result yes. of taking off those sanctions, Kentucky is now going to get 20 millions of dollars of Russian investment in wow. the state for an aluminum plant. Jesus. Rotten, crooked, Rotten disgusting. Yeah. So it is said they are all stuck in the glue. And 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 Deripaska was the guy that Manuchin, I'm not Manafort was in Hawk to. Oh yeah, correct. And there's there's another one, and I want to say his name. It's not Vesselnitskaya because I know that's a lady, but maybe Vesselberg or some other Vesselberg, right. mm -hmm. another big oligarch. And Deripaska was the aluminum oligarch, and so now there's going to be an aluminum plant in mm -hmm. Kentucky. Well, to pay back Mr. McConnell for yeah. his many favors. Yeah. And Margaret, the source of that in terms of the Republicans New York Times. New York today? Times. Today? Yes. Today? Okay. All right. Great. Great, great, great. Have to take a look at that. Certainly take a look at that. Thank you, Meg. That was awesome. And I felt like I was right, I was right there in the room with you, even though it <laughs> on Zoom. <laughs> it was awesome. It was great. You can run Rachel Maddow up and down, and I think I put my money on you. Franny, talk to me. What's going on? What's on? What's in your head today? Well, I, you know, Margaret talks about the lies um, and yeah. how uh, Bill Barr is lying, and um, I'm thinking about uh, the president's stonewalling of all yeah. of the investigations that are looking into him, his private business, as well as his. Uh, government uh, oversight, so to speak. Um, and I would like to say that off of a, a, a bit of fresh air that the stone wall, I think, is wobbling. It hasn't crumbled, but it is definitely wobbling. 
Yeah. And that's because yesterday in court, Trump took a body blow. Oh, tell uh, Yeah, took a body blow because uh, the judge ruled against him. Now, this is the case uh, that involves a lawsuit brought by the president against the commission, I'm sorry, the, the Committee on Oversight, Elijah Cummings yeah. Committee, uh, that has sought accounting records from an organization called Mazars, which is an accounting organization. And they're looking for all of Trump's financial records for six years, between 2011 and 2018, because they are considering what uh, ethical and legislative changes they may need to make in terms of um, oversight of the president's financial affairs uh, even before he entered office. Mm -hmm. And so Trump uh, is really nervous uh, that Mazars is going to hand that stuff over. Remember, this is different from other um, recipients of subpoenas and that Mazars is not a government employee. It's before his time in service. So those executive arguments to prevent Mazars from testifying aren't going to work here. And Mazars was receiving what's called a friendly subpoena. In other words, Mazars had requested that Elijah Cummings send them a subpoena so they'd have the cover of a court order. A subpoena is essentially like a court order. It needs to be enforced in court, but it is essentially an order yep. that's pertinent to the court. And so Mazars, um, as all accountants and auditors, public accountants, I mean, their reputation is integrity and for compliance with the law and his fear that they would actually turn the papers over meant that Trump preempted and brought a lawsuit and sued the committee and sued Elijah Cummings. Um, and why that's of interest is it came to the fore very fast because Trump took the battle to the court right away. And so in this, they, they sought to have an injunction and to prevent the um, Mazars and the commission from receiving these materials from Mazars, the committee, I, I mean. At any rate, Trump took a body blow because the, the fundamental argument that he's using in all these objections is that Congress has no legitimate legislative purpose in seeking information from him. But that shows up in all of the arguments against why all of these subpoenas can't fly and why he can erect his stone wall. And Judge Amit Mehta made fast work of it. Yeah. In 41 pages, he smacked that argument down mm -hmm. and pointed out how, first, it's not up to the court to look and see whether or not the, what the purpose is of Congress, whether in, in the court's opinion it's legitimate or not, or look to the future of any legislation. That's Congress's business, and the court can presume that Congress is fulfilling its legislative purpose because that's why they all ran for office. Um, is to, in order to do that, so that the court needs to presume that. He basically says at the end of the opinion that Trump's argument raises no serious legal question <laughs> on the merits. No serious legal I mean, it's kind of insulting. It is. It's yeah. basically saying this is all settled law. It's all plowed ground. There's no value here in this. Denied. Denied. Uh, <laughs> That's right. And they also asked for a stay. They asked for a seven-day stay, which is essentially what it sounds like, a bookmark or a pause, as Rachel Maddow put it, in the proceedings. And the judge denied that. 
And it's because if there's no serious chance they're going to succeed, Trump's going to succeed, why hold things up? So fundamentally, right now, Mesa's, the accounting firm, is under a subpoena and is within seven days supposed to respond and turn those records over. I think the chances are pretty good that they'll do that, again, because um, accounting firms and public accountants have this you know, serious concern for their uh, public reputation with regard to integrity. And they may well do that. Now, clearly, Trump will try to appeal it to the Court of Appeals. The Court of Appeals does have the right to intervene and try to stay it and stop the proceedings from going forward. But I think the wall is starting to fall down, and it's coming at them kind of fast. Within seven days, Mazars is supposed to produce this stuff. Yeah, They're not working for Trump. Nope. They don't have to worry about, you know, what Trump thinks of them. They're big, big accounting firm. So the chance that they'll comply, I think, is very, very high. Um, and so um, I suppose that raises a question. What yeah. next? What happened in court today, Franny? What's going on today? Well, this basically was, was actually yesterday's rulings. Today, then, yeah. um, today, then, it's a matter of whether or not they're going to appeal it or not, but it it also raises a question, I think, of how did it happen so fast? Mm. Why did this happen? Two things. Judge Maida turned this around, you know, within 48 hours. He closed the record, meaning he finished all the hearing and taking of evidence on May 18th. And he ruled on the 20th. Perfect. Love he him. He ruled on the 20th. And what does that tell us about, I think, the judiciary's interest in seeing the Constitution, the constitutional prerogatives, basic civics yeah. uh, be upheld? I think it also puts a certain amount of pressure on the other judges in that, on that court who will yeah. also get similar kinds of petitions to move it fairly quickly. Right. So what's going to happen next? Well, I, I think amongst other things, it means that other um, issues that, that are based in the same um, foundation yeah. of no legislative purpose could fall very quickly. So, um, and of course, yeah. there's other financial records. Where does that leave us in terms of the tax records what, that he is, that Mnuchin is supposed to provide? Tell that's me. exactly right. That's exactly right. Because that's the same, same principle. Because and, those and are financial Brandy, records too. Yeah. Brandy, may I ask, would you, for our listeners, explain a little bit about what the subpoena means? Mm, the Trump question. administration seems to act like it's an air kiss that you can just dodge. Right. Good question. Uh, a subpoena is a carefully legally regulated order to produce documents. It's issued to an individual, and the individual is supposed to show up with documents or items or actually come in and bring something forward. To bring this with you is essentially what the subpoena means. And there are a th certain agencies that are authorized to issue subpoenas. Lawyers are authorized to issue subpoenas. The court can issue a subpoena. The Congress can issue a subpoena. And it has the force of law. It has the force of law because if you fail to honor a subpoena, you can be brought before the court and you can be held in contempt or you can be fined or you can be essentially forced to comply with the subpoena. And it's a black mark. It gives persons who have been told to produce records who are hinky about whether or not they're going to violate somebody's rights by producing, say, medical records, it gives them cover. It gives them a legal reason to do it. And that's why in this case, Mazars said, send me a subpoena, Elijah Cummings. I'll be comfortable if you send a subpoena. 
um, but I'm not going to just produce it of my own volition. Send me a subpoena. So it was a friendly one. And um, Franny, yep, yep. You, you mentioned uh, a subpoena goes to an individual, but it can also go to an entity. Does that mean that a corporation is a is is an is an individual? Or how does that how does that work? It, it actually works in terms of they would send the they would send a subpoena typically to the keeper of the records at Mesa's. Got it. Okay. So they typically will frame it to an individual, not to a corporation at large, so that okay. there's, it's clear who's responsible for it. Yeah, Same thing. Exactly. The custodian of the records. Yes, you're familiar with that from your investigations. And so the same thing, you know, Steve Mnuchin is the custodian of the records that are in the Treasury Department. Yeah. And so they would have issued the subpoena to him mm -hmm. to actually produce, you know, the last 10 years of, of tax returns. And of course, that's Richie Neal's committee, which is, I'm, I'm not, it's not coming to my mind immediately as to um, what committee he has, but he's a, the financial oversight, I guess. And he's the one that's reached out and, and taxes because his responsibility has to do with tax oversight. Um, and so um, Neil has subpoenaed Mnuchin and Mnuchin failed to honor that late yeah. last week, last Friday. Right. Um, and so uh, by five o'clock Friday, it had not been honored. Neil said that rather than going through a whole business in terms of congressional contempt, they would bring it to court immediately and seek court enforcement of it. Now, there's two things that I think are important here that were useful to me. The, the, the objection that Mnuchin stated was there's no legitimate purpose. Oh, Jesus, yeah. And the tax committees just wish to review Trump's tax records. And so the decision reached by Meta yesterday uh, gives a lot of ground to another judge to say, hey, look, uh, this doesn't fly. I agree, and I'm going to adopt Judge Meta's decision denied. Mm -hmm. So they may get a decision on Mnuchin much more quickly Good. because all of that law has been considered in the 41 pages that Meta wrote out. Yeah. Uh, so it makes that claim much more hollow. I mean, it has to wait for a judge to make a determination about it. Um, the other thing that I found a lot of comfort in is who will represent Richie Neal in court in terms of securing this yeah. from the Treasury Department. Yeah. Because I have been feeling very distressed that the Department of Justice is riddled with Bill Barr and all of his people, and Bill Barr is the one that's got to make these decisions. And they're clearly not, they're, they're clearly following Trump's legal agenda and not, I don't think, really looking impartially at what the law is. And so um, within, the, within the case that was before Judge Mehta, that's Elijah Cummings, they were represented by a lawyer named Doug Letter, yeah. who is the general counsel for the House of Representatives. And so I come to appreciate that there's the OGC, which must be the Office of Government Counsel, that represents the members in Congress in litigation. And so I feel much happier to recognize that it won't be relying on the Department of Justice lawyer to come in and say, oh, no. Yeah, thank God. There'll be a separate, independent, impartial, non-political agency that will take Richie Neal's claim to court. I, that's how, how this is referred to. He's a Massachusetts um, congressman. Um, take his claim to court, seeking to have Mnuchin held in contempt and, and yeah. pointing out Judge Maida's decision. So I think that this may start to crumble a little bit. And again, remember, these are financial records. 
So there's no claim of executive privilege. There's no claim of advice. There's no claim of immunity. This is just a subpoena, duches tecum, which means pretty much what it sounds like. Take the, take the papers with you when you come. Yeah. Um, bring these papers with you. And, and Franny, yes. can I ask, just again for our listeners, there is an attorney-client privilege, but I think it's only very limited for accountants. I think it's only specifically about preparing a tax. Is there any privilege for banks? I mean, they no, don't have I, any, right? I do not believe there's a privilege for, for banks, and there's no privilege for accountants. What they do is they, they involve an attorney. Yeah. They have an, involve an attorney. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And so when there's an attorney involved in it, then the attorney, you know, then it's attorney-client privilege and the, and the accountant is an agent of the attorney and that's how they work it. But independently, accountants right. don't have a privilege. So there's no privilege there, no privilege for the uh, That's right. That's right. And that's right. And, and nothing for Mnuchin, who's not in the business of giving uh, advice, thank God, um, to, uh, to the president. So I, th- I think those things will begin to crumble. Um, and so, so basically, uh, Reg, I think those financial... Uh, those requests of financial work um, and and um, and documents may come to fruition much more quickly. Meanwhile, then today you asked today we got McGann supposed to so show I'm, up in court. Well, you know, I wanted to know just um, just to back up I, so that sure. I understand and our listeners understand. I was thinking that Mnuchin Mnuchin was trying, attempting to deny the subpoena, the the the, the documents for the subpoena because he was saying that there wasn't any congressional nexus either a tie a law or something correct okay right. yes which is complete yes. not of nonsense and it's That's not listed as a, as a requirement it yes. just has to be obeyed right it doesn't have right. to be justified right. just has to be obeyed okay so and it's franny getting back to you then so what's the story with mcgann does he still have his license or, or what's what's the story with him well, I was, I was, you know, worrying for poor, you know, Don McGann last week that he would be, you know, in an ethical conundrum. What was he supposed to do? How was he supposed to rely on executive privilege when he probably knew very well that executive privilege couldn't be relied on with regard to his testimony yeah. before um, the Mueller um, group? Um, because the executive privilege had either been waived or maybe it was being used to cover up a crime, but that the attorney general would probably not take the position yeah. of executive privilege with regard to McGahn. And indeed, that was borne out. Um, right. I thought that was pretty remarkable, that they did not rely on executive privilege um, and instead came out with a new argument that's called absolute immunity. Jeez. It's, a, <laughs> it's just an absolute, it's it's absolute right. joke. It's just a joke. Except just a it's joke. not funny. They, no, they it's con- not funny. They, 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 they rendered yesterday... Um, a 15-page opinion from a man from the Office of Legal Counsel. Margaret, what's the Office of Legal Counsel? Have you had contact with them? Yes. The Office of Legal Counsel, under ordinary situation, in an ordinary situation, are the real geniuses of the Department of Justice. And they are the ultimate decider on what's right and what's wrong. And they issue the advisory opinions that comes from the Attorney General. And, um, and for our next podcast, I'll explain a little bit more. Ordinarily, the advisory, these opinions are held with respect. However, they can be changed. And since um, 45 is taken over, they have just been issuing these for any purpose whatsoever. So right now, any opinion from OLC under this administration means nothing. 
It just means more Kool-Aid was served. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, it was an OLC opinion that Mueller was relying on with regard to not being able to indict a sitting president. That's where that and those, comes from, and right? And can be changed at any time. And again, the purpose of that was, well, it, again, you, you, you have explained it before, but it, they are misusing it. However, that could, that could be analyzed again and come down a different way. But they don't want to because they like that result. Well, I, what I thought was interesting was it isn't Bill Barr claiming executive privilege on behalf of the president. It's this uh, fellow, Steve Engel, who I'm sure is a genius. He's writing an opinion on behalf of OLC. And in 15 pages, he basically states um, he relies on, quote, 50 years of executive uh, of Office of Legal Counsel precedent, 50 years of this is the advice we offer, which is Absurd. just like, I mean, and he put page after page after page of the last 50 years of all the times that Congress sought testimony from an advisor to a president and the president didn't want to do it. And the Office of Legal Counsel always came in, you know, uniformly and said, you don't have to go because I you've got absolute immunity. Okay. The Office of Legal Counsel Opinions, there are thousands of them. Yeah. And they are not always publicly available. Yeah. Some of them are now. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure that you could find 50 that went the other way. Mm -hmm. So we said this is absolutely cherry picking. Yeah. And having said that, they're just advisory opinions. It's right. not law. It's not regulation. You know, you've, you've got to remember, you've got law, then you have regulation, then you have policy. Yeah. Policy can change. Mm -hmm. Remember how the Russians said they were going to wait and do with the policy under the Trump administration? Yeah. So basically, don't tell me you found some expressions of policy. That is not a legal argument. Mm. Policy but, but is not the law. But what's remarkable is that's the way it's couched. And it's yeah. clearly 15 pages to make it look like there was some sort of substantive legal analysis, also to bury what they need to say in there deep enough for the press, nobody's going to pick it up. And you just got to kind of look at it a little bit carefully to recognize they're relying on 15 years of, of okay. precedent of advice. You know, right. and they, again, it, absolute immunity, absolute, it's, it's, it's of its own terms. There's nothing that's absolute. The president is not have a, an executive privilege to cover crime, for example. Executive privilege is not absolute. How would so, we can get one that's better than what the president has? And so, you know, that, that's what they've got buried there and, and, and what they leave Don McGahn waving around, uh, buried way deep into it. Again, they talk about 50 years of consistent advice. That's what they're really talking about. They offer no opinion where their point of view has been sustained by a court Exactly. Because there is no ruling on it. Right. There's, no, there's no Supreme Court. There's no district court that has supported them in this position. In fact, the only reported opinion is against them. The only reported opinion has to do with Harriet Myers. Remember All in the right. Bush administration where yeah. they fired nine U.S. attorneys? Yeah. And they, tried, they sought information from Harriet Myers as to what her advice was to George W. And they declined to send Harriet Myers over there. Judge, a judge of the district court, like Judge Maida, ruled that there was no um, um, absolute immunity uh, vested in Harriet Mize and that she had to testify. Now, the, the administration never appealed that. Or, I'm sorry, 
it was appealed and it was stayed. And during that time, somehow the matter was settled. And I can't find any I think evidence. She retired. That she, something happened to take her out of it so that they never really proceeded with it. But as a practical matter, there is no support for this from a court. Mm -hmm. And so that's why they're left with 50 years of consistent advice. I mean, 50 years of supporting, you know, the Red Sox or your favorite team. But how often do they win? You know, that's what they have failed to touch is how often that they win. Of, uh, 50 years of ignorance about women's bodies and reproduction. Do we <laughs> want to continue that? Yeah. And, and, and so basically what I think, though, uh, where this particular opinion really goes out on a limb is they claim it to be so absolute that it's lifelong. Yeah. And that it covers <laughs> executive employees through the course of their lives. Um, with regard to the matters that bullshit. were testified to, which is bullshit. And, and, that and, clunk is, is with me hitting my head on the wall. Is there anything <laughs> that is lifelong? Absolute nothing. But, but, but we, we just know from recent experience that that can't be true because didn't Sally Yates testify? Didn't right. James Comey testify? Didn't Amorosa Manigault write a book? You yeah. know, it's, <laughs> they, they have no control over these members of the administration when they leave office. And so basically it comes back to poor Don McGahn with his head in his hands saying, how am I gonna feed my kids if I get this bad? <laughs> and I think that the opinion of 15 pages, of course, how heavy and thick it is, uh, would have given him cover. It says in the opinion that he's got immunity and he is not liable to contempt from the court or from Congress, uh, inherent contempt or otherwise, and so that's, I guess, why he's not testifying. Um, but and, again, and, and Franny and Reggie, what is it you always say at the end of the show when we see something we're supposed to call it bullshit? Which is what it is. <laughs> this is bullshit. That's what this is, yeah. I, um, I, I personally, well, we're going to have to wrap it up, gals. But um, I was thinking as you were talking, Franny, and I understood everything. Is um, I understood just about all of it. I'm going to wear my Handmaid's Tale outfit and going to hold a sign that says impeach now and go march out on Route 6. Well, <laughs> just, this fucking bullshit. Well, let, let me just, you know, just make one other point. Yeah. Uh, two, two other quick points. First, I do think that there's a light at the end of the tunnel that the, it's going to be an independent Office of Governance Council, Government Council lawyer that's going to be representing them in these matters, which gives me a much more warmth. The other thing is that with all of these subpoenas, most of it, you know, they will always turn to no, um, accept, no legitimate government purpose. As soon as they open an impeachment inquiry, that's going to just take the punch out of that argument completely. Well, yeah. yeah. That's going to, because then they, they can, there's no way that anybody can articulate that argument with a straight face. And so I think that the stone wall is beginning to wobble and that they should absolutely move for an impeachment inquiry as soon as they can. Meg, are you still feeling as strongly about the impeachment inquiry? What if it's the if it's the only route for us to go? Is that what do you think? Well, What's, and, and you know? again, uh, my opinion is constantly changing based yeah. on the developing situation. Sure. And my rationale was that I wanted to be sending a thousand arrows from different directions. Yeah. So that the uh, administration couldn't tie them all together and strangle them at once yeah however now i think that we have moved closer to the need to open impeachment investigation and i was thrilled to see that at least one republican yeah has a spine yes. and Finally. Calls 
Yeah. And know the difference between him and all the other Republicans? He read the Mueller report. Exactly right. Exactly and if the right. rest of them would pull their heads out and read the yeah. report, <laughs> they would, and I don't want to listen to anyone's opinion if you haven't read at least part of the report. I agree. Because I agree. he read the report and he was convinced. Well, and the part of that is, is they don't want to read the report because they don't want to fucking know. And right. But you read that report, it is right there. I was reading it last night, Meg. I was reading the, the footnotes, and it is right wow. there. Isn't it wonderful? It is. It's fabulous. It's fabulous reading. It really, really is. It's awesome. It's awesome. Um, so we're going to have to wrap it up. I'm so glad our listeners have stayed with us on this for this long. And um, as discussed today, Trump's reckless and self-serving actions undermine the rule of law in America and our American way of life. Join us, the Sisters of Resistance, calling out the treacherous Trump administration. And as we always say, when you see bullshit, what do you do, girls? Call bullshit. bullshit. <laughs> Thank you for being here, Franny and Meg. And my name is Reggie. And thanks to everyone for listening. And we'll have more information for you next week. And so take care and bye-bye. Resist. Right, th thanks for listening. <laughs>